in three, two, one. Sales is much more complex than number crunching, reading scripts, or having coffee with clients. For too long, we've seen sales as something external to us. As salespeople, we spend enormous amounts of time honing our skills and figuring out how to close effectively so we can get more yeses from clients. This is what we think will make us good salespeople. However, in only focusing on the external work, we do not give ourselves the opportunity to realize our true potential. You can see this in top athletes, performers, and artists. They don't just ace their external game, they also become masters of the complex inner game that truly underpins their performance. To help us understand and strengthen our inner mental game is author, speaker, and coach, Arishma Singh. Arishma, welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, where are we speaking to you from today? I'm calling from Adelaide, Australia. Lovely place. Lovely place. Now, you're not a native Australian. You're from the Fijian Islands originally. Yes, a very small town called Ba from Fiji Islands. And I came to Australia when I was 19 to study. And now I'm an Aussie. Oh, nice. Well, it's a good country. I've been to Fiji a couple of times and yeah. always had a great time. I've been to the north. I've been to the south and mm. everything in between. So great country. And now you live in a, another great country as well. Australia yeah. is just lovely. And that's a beautiful time. You're coming into your summer now, I believe too, aren't you? Yes. It's getting hot. It's beach time now. It is beach time. Well, I'm excited about our topic today and we're going to be talking about your sure. book, which I'm excited about as well. And had a chance to respected salesperson, but let's give our listeners a little background. How did Arishma get here? Tell us a little bit about your corporate life. And then how mm -hmm. you evolved into speaker, trainer, coach. Yeah, I'd like to go back to my foundations, actually. I'm from Fiji Islands. My parents are very traditional Indians and they're teachers. So you can imagine when you have Indian parents that are teachers, the expectations are on steroids. So that idea of always being disciplined, focused was there. And there was always a goal setting. My mother wanted me to be the ducks of my primary school and high school. So you can imagine a child that was at the age of three started going to school and I'd wake up at 4 a.m. to study. On the weekends, I'd actually prepare for the week in advance. And then in my school breaks, I'd prepare for the year ahead. That's the type of discipline that I carried as a child. And that meant when I came to Australia at the age of 19, I was alone. I came with $400 in my pocket and worked a number of different jobs while studying as well. And that same discipline went through. My mantra always had been work hard, strive hard, and that is the way to achieve success. And that worked really well because I did achieve a lot of accomplishment, both academically and then professionally. Life sometimes teaches you a really good lesson. So at the age of 28, I was taken into the intensive care unit and I did not know what was happening to me. After a few days, they diagnosed it as pancreatitis and I'm not a heavy drinker. So it was very confusing. And during that time, I was put under a lot of opioids. And the effect of that was that I started losing a bit of my mind. I became quite addicted to the opioids and That's coming back fun, to yeah. work. Yeah, it was quite a big transition personally. And that led me to actually start looking at other ways because for someone who always flew this flag of like high performer, I wanted to make sure that that's what I did. But all I knew was to actually continue striving really hard. So I had to find another way where I was 
able to sustain success without compromising my emotional and mental well-being because now I had another factor which was very clear in my life was a challenge and obstacle. So how do you actually balance all of this out? So that led me to finding new pathways and I found out that if you can work through your mind, you can still achieve successful outcomes. outcomes. You can achieve the success yeah. you're looking for. But you tried a lot of different modalities too. Absolutely. In your quest, you ran the gamut from yoga to Reiki to whatever, but you seem to settle in on EFT, I believe, as your modality of choice, so much yeah. so that you even became certified in it and be able to offer that as well. Absolutely. I also came from a schooling where yoga was taught right from kindergarten. So all of these Eastern, I would say, traditions and philosophies and modalities were very natural for me. The part that was not natural was the psychology, because if you coming from a traditional family, you don't really talk about your feelings. You just go and do things. So what is interesting about EFT is that it actually combines the East and the West really beautifully. But what was most important for me was also looking at science as well. It's backed by science. And the effect that I received, it was quite quick compared to all of the other modalities as well. I still truly believe in meditation. But with EFT, you can actually apply a particular situation related to an emotion and an event. So in sales, if you're about to call someone that is senior exec, and if you're actually feeling all of this giddiness inside or your palms are sweaty or you're feeling something in your throat... Those are very specific things that you can actually tap on. And that is what I feel is the power of EFT is actually becoming that specific and you can work on a goal and break it down into little segments to make sure that you can find out how are you progressing. It's quite a beautiful process. And we'll get into some more of those details and some examples of how you do it because it was that combination. We never think of doing that from a sales point of view. We always think yes. of that in our personal therapy and it is a recognized therapy or modality within the psychology world, but how you've linked the two to performance and sales performance, I think is very interesting to kind of help you thrive. I know you've been speaking for a while. You've been talking about telling your story and sharing your story. Why the book? The book was basically a way for me to bring in together all of the information that I knew, my life experience, research in the market, all in one place, because I kept being asked, how do you do it? You're in a hospital for months at a time. And then you come back and then you win again another performance. How are you doing this? Sometimes I was actually working part-time, but I was doing better than people that were employed at full-time. So I would say I do tapping and I would explain what tapping is. But, you know, people listen, but it was not really digesting. And the other thing happened is that because in the last 12 years, I actually had been hospitalized about 13 times. And yes. there has been, yeah, and there has been three times where it was near-death experience. So the final one, just before COVID as well, that was quite devastating. And every single time, as you know, when you go into hospital, you are provided different types of drugs, etc. And then you also have other side effects. So in one of those episodes, I also was actually experiencing some memory loss. And it was quite startling to me when once I was in a high profile banking environment with my manager and I forgot the name of the client. I forgot why I was there. And that was quite scary. Oh, I'll say. That is the time when I had decided to actually utilize EFT in a very methodical way. 
So I broke it down into every single aspect of my work life. And I started looking at what are some of the things that I need to do? Where are my gaps? And you know what? It was quite interesting that I actually uncovered some of my own subjective biases in the process. Interesting. So you don't go around telling people, hey, this is what my subjective bias is. But I wanted to also understand if these things are also relevant to other people as well, or is it unique to me? So I did spend some time actually going and interviewing people that were in different areas of their life. So not just salespeople, also sales leaders, clients, marketing, pre-sales, finance, etc. So that I could understand the whole sales industry as well, because I'm invested in ensuring the sustainability of my success in the sales. I love sales, the way that it's always fresh and dynamic. So I wanted to actually get everyone's input in there as well and understand what is this thing that's missing in the industry and the missing ingredient is respect. If we are not internally respecting ourselves, then we can't engage in a respectful conversation with our clients. If we're in a business of changing and influencing minds, if we can't change our own minds, we can't change others' minds. So that was the premise that I was like an aha moment. And that's the reason why I thought, Let's bring it all together in a book. And you attack that first and foremost in the book, which is we better respect ourselves. If we can't change our mind, how are we going to change the mind of others? But I think it goes to the mindset of what selling is all about, because we believe that no one's really born a salesperson. You can have attributes and you can have skills and you talk about those things that people make it a little easier process. And I remember growing up, people would say to me, oh, you have the natural gift of sales. And really, it was more about communication. And the more I focus on communication, basically identify the gap between where you are today and where you wanted to be, where you're headed to. My job simple is to help you close the gap. And do I have the right tools and resources and services to help you close that gap? Yeah. But I had to evolve to that versus, yeah. hey, here's a widget. Let me tell you all the features and functions and benefits <laughs> of this widget and going yeah. through it. And we tend to rush into it. But you attack the mental mindset first, because a lot of people don't wake up one day and you don't say to Arishma, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you go, well, I want to be in professional sales. Nobody says that, right? Nobody yeah. says about, what if we could say that? What if we could say, I'm going to be professional sales. I don't know what company I'm going to sell yet. I don't know what product or service I'm going to sell yet, but that's where I'm going and I'm going to get excellent at. And we all went, that's fantastic. What a great objective. Like, wow, Arishma's going into sales. We do it when you're going to be a doctor or if you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a pilot or an engineer, but we don't do it when you're going to sales. Or we hear things like, well, if everything fails, all else fails, I'll just go into sales. And you've taken a different approach to it. And I concur with your approach. Treat it like a profession. And And you don't look salesy. You don't come across as salesy. That's the fear we all have. And you address that quite early in your book. Absolutely. And look, I'm guilty of that because here I came from Fiji to Australia and I was like, okay, I've invested almost hundred grand in getting educated and got a HR degree, had honors, et cetera. My parents were quite confused when I moved out of HR and got into sales. And it happened at the global financial crisis because a you know, HR industry was suffering. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was approached by somebody that was going to be my manager and she thought that I knew the products better than her account team because it was a user of that product. So and I was like, I'm not going to be in sales. That's how I used to me. think. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I went to degree and I went and had a degree. Look at me. But the reality of sales was that like, wow, you actually have to think quite in a complex and holistic manner when you are looking at the buying and selling process, the decision makers, the various type of industries that they're in. It's 
quite an interesting profession. And that's the part profession. You said sales professionals. How many people actually see sales as a profession? Yeah, not many. The no, top earners do, the top performers do. And yes, that's and that's true. that transformation that we see people making. They're hesitant to make. I've met many successful people in their own right. They might be good in creative side. They might be good at their particular. And the thought of going and talking to somebody or getting a client. So consequently, they have a mediocre existence. They're starving artists in some cases. Yes. But at yeah. the end of the day, it's the story. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Arishma Singh. What's the difference then between earning trust and commanding respect? I thought this was interesting. Yeah. So I feel that, of course, both are inherent things that you need to have as a successful salesperson. Earning trust is something that does take time if you're talking about true trust, whereas commanding respect can be instant, where you know your boundaries and you're also respecting somebody else's boundaries. So I feel like that trust is a longer dance. Well, as respect, you can basically set a scene where you're very clear in your intention and you're also communicating that intention to the other person so that they feel comfortable to share a yes or a no openly. If you don't do that, then this dance doesn't be get into a trustful dance. It actually becomes more of a lie and deception dance where you're not really telling all of the issues that might arise with the client's pain point. The client probably doesn't feel comfortable to actually tell you that they will reject you. Instead, they just ghost you. All the games come out and the trickery comes out. So yes, that's an interesting point on that with the respect, because I think most salesmen go in with what we call a one down position. They feel the yeah. client's one up and I'm one down versus you have a lot to offer. We use yeah. tools. You and I would use tools. When I go into a sales call and I'm meeting, say, with a VP typically or a CEO, I always bring copies of my books. And I do that to a couple of things. Establish trust and credibility quick. Mm -hmm. as far mm -hmm. as the credibility and the authority goes. And I pull out the books and I say, here's a couple of my best-selling books. They're bestsellers because my mom bought a lot of them. And so <laughs> I try and deprecate there. They usually chuckle. And then I open up my little Sharpie and I say, can I personalize it for you? I say, it's not worth much now, but it will be when I'm dead. I'm sort of like a dolly painting. And they always <laughs> chuckle and laugh and I'll sign it for them, give it to them. Well, at that point, they're less likely to beat me up because now I have some respect and we're talking to them. And it goes to what I call the trusted advisor model. If you think yes. of yourself going in as a, when you go see a doctor, a brand new doctor, and you walk in mm -hmm. and you're not seeing your regular doctor, there's always a level of respect or a professional or the banker or yes. the lawyer. And yeah. we need to adopt that same mindset, same attitude. When we come in, you're bringing some value. That's really the key, isn't it? Is to bring something of value each and every interaction that sets you apart and establishes that trust, that credibility, 
so that, hey, you're not just a salesperson trying to change my mind or get me thinking differently. You're actually bringing me something value and really care about our business. So trusted advisor status is really a potential outcome of changing our mindset with this, isn't it? Yeah. And I think I would simplify it further that being a trusted advisor is simply being a good human being. Right. <laughs> You're providing value. You're not a shark. The way that I differentiate trust and respect, and I've done that in my book, and funnily enough, you asked me about my wedding and, and marriage recently. So think about the nice girl syndrome, right? Where right. you go out on a date, you put on your best personality up front. But what you're not doing is, let's say that you're in your late 30s and time's ticking off and you want yeah. to get pregnant. You want to be in a relationship with somebody that is also in the same wavelength as you. You clock also want ticking. them to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the clock is ticking. Same thing as sales. Clock's ticking. There's a target there. There's an end goal there. But if you start behaving as if that you're just here to provide service, it's not charity. Yes, you give something of value, but it's a value exchange. And you need to make sure that those outcomes are stipulated quite clearly. So if I was a female and I am interested in actually, at the end of the day, getting married, I think all of those expectations need to be laid out, not to scare the person, but at least not waste your own time. So that at the end of the day, the other person is also able to make that decision in a constructive manner. Then a little bit of manipulation is removed because you're being truly authentic to yourself. Yeah, genuine with it. I think you yeah. can say that. And actually, I call it Jerry Maguire, your clients. You remember the movie Jerry Maguire when he's yeah, losing all yeah. of his clients and he gets down to the last one, Cuba Gooding Jr. And he says to him, yeah. I'm not feeling the loving Jerry. And he goes, I will walk on broken glass for you. I will do this. Here's what I'm yeah. wanting. And they're stating his intention, what he's expecting. I'll go into yes. a cell situation. And the first thing I always do is I always focus on the outcome first. So mm -hmm. for instance, if we're doing a conference and I'm being interviewed by a committee who's going to make a decision, they've narrowed it down to eight or 10 speakers. They ask me, go ahead and tell us why we should hire you. And I go, well, I'm not sure you should. This is why we're having this meeting. And they're kind of already taken back. And I said, so I do what's called a pullback. We're not a solution for everyone. But in 30 minutes, yeah. we're going to find out whether we want to explore that as a possibility. Our goal is to get on your radar, share with you two or three insights of trends that we see impacting your business in the next 12 to 24 months, and mm -hmm. then make a determination if we're a potential resource for you and if there's some mutual opportunity for both of us to benefit. So yes. we'll tell them right up front and say, look, here's what our intention is. And yeah. what's the outcome of the event when they're leaving? What do you want them saying? What do you want them feeling? What do you want them thinking? And they'll yes. tell me, I said, perfect, we're in alignment. If we're in alignment, if we're not, we're not. And that sometimes yeah. happens too. But I think that resonates even at a vibrational level, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I can tell you a story about a firm that I used to work with. It was a small Kiwi firm, actually. And the owner, the founder of that particular organization was very clear in terms of who did she want to serve as a client as well. So it wasn't just about going and winning any sale. That right. sale also had to equate with a client that would be a champion as well. One that we would enjoy working with. And it was a true collaboration and partnership. So just as you've actually given that example about, well, it's not about me just coming in and like winning your business. Are we a true fit? And once you actually start looking at that proper fit, A, is the product actually even suitable? But secondly, what about the delivery method? Do we have the right resources available at both ends? If it is software as a solution perspective, is the expectations actually outlined accurate? and timely and even transparent. Sometimes clients do not know what they want either. So you have to work that journey with them and also sometimes challenge their thinking too. So those things can only occur 
If you're coming from a place of respect, you mentioned Jerry Maguire. Funnily enough, I have put this down in the book. There's about 10 different personalities. Jerry Maguire is one of them. To kind of explain to the industry that not all salespeople are the same. You don't think of others like, okay, we all are gregarious fools that know how to, you know, gift of the gab and just communicate our way out of it. Some of them are highly analytical and might be quite conservative, whereas others might be quite curious and brash. So there's so many different flavors of sales professionals out there. And we need to have that perspective that if we are aligned to our own authenticity, then we are allowing our clients to do the same. So you mentioned vibration. Every human being has that sense of sniffing out BS. Yeah, it's a vibe. So Mm -hmm. that's the vibrational fit as well. We need to actually see, are we in the right wavelength with with each other or not? No, it's interesting. Well, and then we have a mechanism inside our little noggins, the size of an almond that help us with that, right? So we say we have two computers, one the size of an almond, the amygdala, and we have our Mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex, which is the last 250,000 years. And the amygdala, our fight or flight or our croc brain or our lizard brain, or we're in the cave and saber tooth goes by, the amygdala is going to kick in. And yes. what I find is that's really what we need to trigger. And I find with sales processes, going in authentically is important to go there. But a lot of those emotions, and you outline all the emotions and how to activate those emotions and why they're important and how we can work them in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Those emotions are what stop us, whether we get fearful or we sniff out something that doesn't sound good or whatever. So how important is it for us to, did you call it the amygdala hijack? And in chapter two of your book, you get into the details. When we're training salespeople, I say, look, get into the amygdala, find out what's in there. That's their database. Yes. That's their reference point. So if they've been ripped off by salespeople and lied to by salespeople, I got to go there first and I've got to pacify that. Otherwise, their Mm -hmm. trigger of doubt is going to take a longer time. And that's why when we see long sales cycles, I think, where we hear, well, we need to think about it. Most decisions don't take that long. They're actually quite quick. If we actually put all the time together, how much you spend on this, a lot of it goes (laughs) through analysis because nobody wants to make a mistake. So talk a little bit about the amygdala and how we can maybe get into that database and how it impacts our decisions and our attitudes. Yeah, absolutely. So when I talk about the amygdala hijack, it it is when your amygdala is driving you rather than you driving your own self. So it takes the front seat. It's running the show. It's running the show. And then your prefrontal cortex is just kind of shut because right now it's in thinking I'm in fight, flight or freeze moment there's some kind of danger. So the first part, as you have acknowledged, is the acceptance, the awareness of the issue itself. If we're not aware of it, the trigger, then we don't know how to deal with it. So that's the first step. So if a salesperson is actually in a meeting, in a presentation, and they're noticing that I've really practiced my pitch to the nth degree, but why is it not landing the way that it's intended to do? Why is everyone's eyes just glazing at me? <laughs> you know, something's not sinking in. You know it in your gut. But at that time, you haven't just connected to why. So that's the first part, which is introspection, of understanding the what is that issue. So is it because they themselves actually have some kind of bias around the solution itself and they're feeling guilty or ashamed? And it's just that that whole disconnect is there because what they're saying is not really connecting to the feeling that they're expressing through their body. So that's the first awareness part. And then after that, I love to actually play around as with this whole process. You accept, you reflect, then you go excavating because it has to come out from somewhere. Let's take an example, money. 
a lot of salespeople, while they are inspired by making more money, there is sometimes a little block there that, oh, if I make this much, then I'm filthy rich. So just that word filthy all of a sudden has a connotation in their vocabulary that no human being would want to actually be filthy or maybe it's not spiritual or they think that if I actually do this, then I'm going to be perceived in a particular way. There could be a gazillion different types of stories. So excavate that story. Where is it coming from? Is it coming from own, your own personal values or is it coming from imprinting around your surrounding, your culture, the people that are with you? There's so many different elements that can impact your own thoughts and behaviours. So go excavate. And then there's a wonder process, which is think like a child. What could be the options on how I could actually change this? Because you can't just go jump into a change because you said so. If you tell somebody, right. don't think like that, do you think that they'll just go ahead? Yeah, I won't think like that. I'm going to improve my mindset. It's not that simple. You need to really play with some of the options that you feel comfortable with. So scan your body, understand where the problems are. Where are you storing that emotion? How is it coming out in your energy field? And then lay with different options. Your body will guide you and then go and tap that positive intention in a more methodical manner. And I like the word excavate that you use. I think that's a good term because what we're doing is we're looking at those things that hold us back and we're looking at what we perceive as the negative things that have happened to us, events that we've associated, mm -hmm. maybe something happened to us. You tell the story of a cafe shop in Sydney with a man, yes. you know, there's people can read different examples within your book, yes. but we have these experiences and we think, oh, you know, and we think it may happen again, or we've been burned by a salesperson. So we have the negative, but it also works on the positive side too. And this is yeah. kind of new information for me where we need to excavate in the client's mind and in our own minds, the positives, because once yeah. I know what those things are, so how we would do that is through questions. So for yeah. instance, let's say we're looking at software as a solution, you're looking at a particular application that you're doing. I would ask you, when was the last time you purchased software as a solution? I mean, the process you went through with that, was that a good thing or a bad thing? What was the experience? of that, what worked well, what didn't work well. I want to find out everything around that because odds yes. are using the trigger of consistency, yes. they're going to do it again that way. So if it was a positive experience, they've gone through the mousetrap and the maze yes. and they found the cheese, they're yes. going to take that same approach just because it works. Yeah. On the other hand, yeah. where has it failed? Where have you failed? What happened? How did you do it? Don't go mm. down that road. Don't go down that road. Mm. I remember an account one time, and this was back 20 plus years ago, yeah. and it was in the transportation world, like FedEx, DHL, UPS. And okay. so we asked them, how did you choose your last training company? They told us. Yes. I said, what did you like about them the most? What did you not like about them? What was not good? He said, well, yeah. they nickel and dimed us for everything. I yes. said, oh, nickel and dimed you for everything. How so? Well, photocopies, they would charge us for staples. They would charge just because of how lawyers used to do it in the old days. They charged yes. for everything, a fax copy of silly things. Well, I'm really glad I asked that question because that was the model we had because a lot of consulting companies at that time charged for everything. So mm -hmm. then we thought immediately when we made our proposal, we made sure that was all included. So we said, mm -hmm. by the way, we don't charge for incidentals. One price is done. There's mm -hmm. no nickel and diamond. We don't like that. And that it became a new value for us. So everything's yes. inclusive. And yes. we won the contract and we got that contract. Yes. But I got that information because I asked what their pain points were. What didn't they like about it? What was their yes. emotional experience around that? And that's the value of the amygdala, isn't it? And maybe excavating the data that's in there or hacking the data that's in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll add to that, that not just that, you also had an open mind because yeah. you pivoted straight away. If you had been stuck in the old way of doing things and you'd be like, well, that's the only way to do it. And now we're supposed to get the most money out of this client and charge right. for all those things. That you'll be stuck. Yes. Where else? It 
it was just like a flow for you because you didn't have an objection internally and you worked through that. So that is an example of true partnership where you were not afraid to ask the right questions, but you were also not afraid to answer them in a way that served the client. So there's that like subtle thing. You didn't get stuck. Makes sense. I really like chapter three in your book where you talk about the sales myths that hold us back. And we won't go through them all because you go through a whole bunch of them in there. I think there's like 10 of them that you have in there. What's the most common myth that you run into again and again as you coach and as you're educating and you're training professional sales organizations? What's the one thing that you see repeatedly is there one or two that just keep showing up again and again? (laughs) Yeah. The salespeople are not smart. They're stupid. Yeah, I can, so, I can so, attest to you know, that too. Yeah. That's one myth that comes up. Yeah, they're not very bright. Oh, yeah, no, they're, they're just like good-looking people that are trying to flog a product. They don't really know anything. And the smart people are the ones that are technical. Salespeople are just there to drink coffee and oh, yeah, have schmooze, a good laugh. And schmooze the schmooze clients. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah so, it's quite remarkable. It creates and, the self-doubt and, and all the self-worth yeah, issues, which you talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, or and, young salespeople are like, oh, I'm not experienced enough. And the experienced one are like, oh, I'm too old. So all of that, like little things about not being good enough in some way or the other comes through because mm-hmm. they start comparing themselves to other people, the competitors, internal stakeholders, clients, etc. And in Australia, there's this whole tall poppy syndrome issue here as well. So if somebody even acts as confident, people are very quickly to put them back into their place. Sometimes we're overconfident, yeah. which yes. and overconfidence comes across as arrogant sometimes. And sometimes we can be too arrogant. Mm. And we see sales professionals, or I see this where I'll see a lot of young guys who are, and mostly men primarily. I don't mean to genderize it, but this is where I see it yes. the most. And they're yeah. 25, they're 26, they're 27. They've made the first 100,000. They're buying their BMW. They're buying their nice yeah. watch. They're spending 110,000 yeah. to do it because they want all the trappings of what they think is successful because it's how yes. we do it. It's yeah. the same as when we see our professional athletes, baseball or football and big gold yes. chains. And the whole thing is like, look at my yeah. car. Yeah. Look at me. And so we identify with those things. And really the crux of what you do is let's identify with ourselves and let that inner self come out because we all have that. And then let that inner strength kind of permeate from within us. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that I fell in that whole trap as well. For me, travel wasn't an extensive thing. So as soon mm-hmm. as the commission started coming, it was all about spending that money in travel. And yet there was this thing like, oh, sales professionals actually are like they're going out, dining out, going to new places. And it's exciting. Yeah. So it's that tangible reward that you're starting seeking. But what about that intangible reward, the intrinsic reward that you feel the satisfaction you gain out of actually doing something that day in, day out, you really are feeling inspired from. And when you see that client succeed, once you are starting to also help the other sales professionals as well, and you see in that mentoring and how they are developing as well, there's just something that's like a wow moment. Wow, I'm actually doing something that feels good. And that's where right. the professionalism comes purposeful. in. Sales. It's purposeful. Let's draw the linkage now. And it's part of chapter four with your story and how you found EFT and how it changed your life. So let's define what EFT is, because there's a couple of <laughs> variations of that. And yes. this is not voodoo. When I first saw it, I thought, okay, <laughs> this is voodoo. And but I'm okay with good voodoo. There's there's good voodoo <laughs> that works, right? Or the voodoo you do. And, but this has actually, you know, been tested and it's part of a modality. So it works. A lot of people have been up. So it's very interesting how you link that. So let's talk, you know, briefly what it is, a process, and then maybe how it might apply to a sales situation or a lack of confidence. So if I'm a listener and I'm a salesperson, I'm suffering from maybe some anxiety around something or Mm -hmm. not feeling relevant. How might I use that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll 
answer your first question, which is yeah. uh, what's EFT. EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Techniques. It comes under the banner of energy psychology. And it's a combination of two things. One is the cognitive psychology behind it. And the second part is the somatic stimulation, which is ingrained in traditional Chinese medicine. So anyone that has actually experienced acupuncture, it's basically all those different acupressure points that exist on our body. And when you stimulate that, because your body is actually electric, it sends right. a signal to the amygdala and it calms the amygdala down. So in the case of amygdala hijack, it actually switches off that flight, fight and freeze component. So your frontal cortex actually opens up. You're able to now provide more creative solutions to a problem. So then you ask me the question around how to apply it in a sales context. So think about the sales context. And I talked about your day-to-day -day life. What does a salesperson actually do? Right from the place of researching your prospect, prospecting, and then contacting them, calling them, making an appointment, doing discovery meetings, presentation, negotiation, closing, and then serving them. In that entire spectrum, find out which part do you struggle with? Picking up the telephone, making a phone call. That's the main one that most people struggle with. And it, it really depends on who are they calling, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. let's take my example. In my case, I am an Indian woman in a foreign country and English is my second language. And while I was always seen as a high performer, internally there was this subjective bias coming from a place of lack inferiority and where I was comparing myself, pardon me, with white men that no matter how much I'm successful, there will always be white men who are superior to me. They were the people that I would unconsciously have some kind of block against. So how would that translate? English is my second language. And while I'm speaking quite fluently, I think in Hindi. So if there's something that they are saying that feels a bit uncomfortable all of a sudden, it shows in the tonality of my voice, and people can pick up on that tonality. Yeah. So, yeah. So you might be more that, reserved. You might hold back. You might not yes. say something. Or, and culturally, yes. if you come from a culture, and we have different cultures which have, yes. let's just call them male dominated or chauvinistic, yeah. they just haven't evolved yeah. yet. You're in a traditional environment. That's yeah. going to be tough to break out of that because you've already got that psychology. So, as an Indian woman, I've always been taught women don't question. Don't raise your voice. Also, you need to be like dignified, ladylike and soft and genteel and warm. But then there's another part of me that is fiery and passionate and, you know, can be a bit aggressive at times when assertive. needy. Assertive. Yeah. yeah, all of that is in me. And I can actually express that in some circumstances and in other circumstances not. So I had to dig deep into where, because when I had that mental blank I talked to you about, it was because I was in a global bank setting with two Anglo-Saxon men and something in me got triggered by, and, and I'm sharing this quite deeply, it was actually the jawline of somebody that triggered me another experience. So I got caught up because sometimes your mind actually, yep. oh, yeah, even in a meeting, it goes somewhere mm -hmm. else. So I got <laughs> triggered at that time, and especially being so sedated with all of these opioids. Right. My brain just froze and I couldn't remember. So that's the place where I had to first dig deep into and then understand where is it coming from? Where is it coming? Digging, 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 digging. It came actually from my grandmother because she told me a lot of stories about how Indians were brought to Fiji and blah, 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 blah. And we use the word Gora to explain that, that that's what the white men did to us. That's the what Gora. the white men did mm -hmm. to us. So, yeah. So I had the subjective bias. Even though I'm married to an Australian man who's a beautiful human being, I used to have the subjective bias 
which I had to work through in order to not see myself as inferior or superior, but as an equal. Similarly, I noticed that in whether it's young men or experienced, you know, sales professional, they all have their own subjective biases around certain individuals. If somebody actually reminds them of a, you know, nasty teacher, for example, Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. happens to them. So we need to be aware of all of our triggers and really go deep into it and find out, hey, it used to affect you. But that's not the case now. You're safe. So when that subjective trigger gets triggered or it comes up, you break that down in your book and you go through the exercise. We can then go through tapping. And listeners who are listening to the podcast, you can go check it out. There's YouTubes to watch how tapping works. You start with the eyebrow, side of the eye, under the eye, under the nose, chin, collarbones, under the arm. It's quite an easy process. But, yes. you, but you state, get very specific about the thing that you're trying to change. And is yes. it really the tapping that's doing it or is it the combination of that and the focusing because I, I know we're energy beings I get that but yes. is it just that we're focused on that and we're linking those two things together yeah it, it's it's a linkage so because you know you're in your body you have emotions you have energy you have thought and I explain it quite in an eastern manner you the do. nari which is the prima vascular system, in that pathway travels all your memories your thoughts your emotions every single bit of you could call it bite-sized information that actually travels throughout your entire body because your body is electric. So by tapping, you basically are switching different parts of your system. Yeah, you're waking Mm -hmm. it up, but also you're informing it that, hey, you need to change the pathway. So the somatic stimulation awakens it, and then the psychology, which is the emotion, the trigger event, specific to it what you think about it actually is the information that you're now communicating so you're communicating via a somatic way as well as a psychological way that's the linkage that actually makes that change yeah it's very interesting and one thing i really like about your book which a lot of authors don't do is it's rich and you're very generous with the amount of exercises in it so for those interested in self-help literally dozens and dozens of exercises and they're all good and very practical it really is a textbook because the whole goal is really and you've created a, a framework for this is for us to be able to thrive and whatever yeah. we choose to do. So this works not just for sales professionals, but for everyone to have a healthy existence and to enjoy our lives, but to thrive as we yeah. define it, as we define yeah. it. So it's uncovering, excavating those subjective biases. And by the way, my wife has a subjective bias around Australian men. He says <laughs> they're all good looking and even the ugly ones are good looking. Uh, <laughs> and I think you'd concur. He's not alone. No. That's not a subjective bias. I think that's just true. Aussie men rock. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's absolutely, totally true. So it's terrific. What's the best place for people to get hold of you? Yeah, arishma.com. So basically they can go there and see the link to the book. There's free resources there like a sales persona quiz to find out what kind of personality are you. There's also an app link there as well, which is free so that you can learn how to do EFT with lots of exercises as well. And then also a place for people to go and check my media kit out and uh, get me on for speaking gigs. Yeah, there's good stuff. And I know you speak as a keynote speaker. You do the corporate coaching. You've got the books. You're an entrepreneur. you got lots of good things here and you're very generous with the information. So we'll have all that information in the show notes. 
And it's been a real pleasure having you. We could spend hours on the subject because it's so Absolutely. important. And I really love how you've linked those two things together. So you brought it into our practice. And so that it's all about making us better and how we present yeah. ourselves better. And so ultimately we can thrive and enjoy the success that comes from being a professional salesperson or business person. So thanks so much for being our guest today. Thank you. I enjoyed this. Lots and lots of love from here and from Australia and a big namaste to everybody. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.